This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 226. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. On this episode we're kicking off three special episodes we're doing in the month of May. We like to every now and again throw a little theme for a month and see where that theme takes us. And because we are in May... It makes sense that rather than go down the obvious route of Star Wars, because let's face it, no one wants me talking, the Baz does not want me talking about Star Wars because I'll get it all wrong and it'll upset him, which would make me happy, but aggravate, I imagine, quite a lot of people out there. Instead, what I thought is, uh, how about a little bit of Mady Mady? You know, movies where you are stuck in isolation and desperate for assistance. You need help. You're calling out for assistance, but no one's coming to help you. No one is coming to help you. And this month, we will be carrying out three episodes themed Mayday Mayday. Three horror movies that deal with paranoia and isolation. I mean, that's what we want in this current lockdown situation. Surely that will put a smile on our face and a spring in our step. I have curated three movies which will be running throughout this month, starting with this episode here and probably the most iconic of all the isolation, paranoia-filled movies of all time. And it's safe to say my favourite horror movie ever fucking made. We're going to be discussing John Carpenter's The Thing after the first break. Before we get to that, it's another four-episode week, ladies and gents. Starting right here on the podcast under the stairs. On Thursday, we'll be announcing what our new theme is for Movie Club moving forward for the next four months. You not only get the theme, but you'll get your first movie assignment as well. I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys make of it. On Saturday, it'll be another listener choice episode. So on Friday on the Facebook group page, facebook.com forward slash grips forward slash cast, I put another three options up there for you. Your decision, your choice will be reviewed on Saturday. And then Sunday, 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 it is the Arrow video assortment for podcasts under the stairs. Over on the Teapots Collective, this coming weekend, you'll get a bonus review um, of sorts. It's a continued chronicle episode. Uh, we are bod deep, so to speak, in chapter two, and um, we'll be taking a little look at folk horror in the UK with a little bit of the Wicker Man. So that'll be coming up this weekend. Keep your eyes peeled for that over on the Teapots Collective. Okie dokie, ladies and gents, let's take our first break of the episode. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for The Thing from 1982 by the maestro, the man. The fucking legend, John Carpenter. We'll be coming right back to discuss that movie right after this. (laughs) 
As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? He can beat one of those things! Welcome back. So, you have just heard the trailer for The Thing from 1982. This is directed by John Carpenter, screenplay adapted by Bill Lancaster, and the story by John W. Campbell Jr. This is a who's who of fucking awesomeness in this movie. You've got Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley, T.K. Carter, David Clennon, Keith David, Richard Dysart, Charles Hallahan, Peter Mahoney, Richard Masseur, Donald Moffat, Joel Polis, Thomas G. Waits, Norbert Weiser, Larry Franco, we're into the Norwegians at this point here, and Nate Irwin as the pilot. That's pretty much your cast um, on display here. Like I say, directed by John Carpenter, came out in 1982. The synopsis for this one is a research team in Antarctica is haunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. So, when I was kind of mulling this idea over in my head, as you do, 
when you're sitting there thinking, I don't have an episode for Monday, my plans have been delayed slightly and I need to fill the void. You start thinking about like dream lineups and then you start thinking about dream conversations and I've discussed the thing before on podcasts under the stairs but maybe never through the lens that I want to discuss it just now. So I've done the standard movie review where I talk about just how fucking incredible this movie actually is. And, you know, I've had guests on to discuss it. It's been discussed as part of the Teapot's Top 10 Summer Series for the 80s. And it won out, rightly so, at the end of that. And, you know, we've we've done a lot of talking about the thing. But one thing that I haven't, one thing that I haven't about the thing, um, is really discussed and leaned into is how awesome it is in terms of its simplicity. There's a lot of things that make this movie, one, almost not workable and ahead of its time for 1982, and at the same time gives it its staying power that we have um, now. You know, nowadays where the reappraisal, almost year upon year now, is that the thing might be the greatest horror movie ever made. And it's hard to argue against that. The reason behind it, and it isn't the practical effects, although the practical effects are bitching, it's not the score. And let's be honest, you've got Ennio Morricone doing the best John Carpenter impression that's ever been and creating one of the most iconic horror scores of all time. It's not even the cast, although we're going to lean back into that because it is kind of a cast. It's, it's simplicity and it's delivery. It's idea of paranoia, isolation and its ability to kind of get inside the lizard brain of the actors and also the lizard brain of the audience. It's a movie that has perpetuated theory upon theory and even though John Carpenter has claimed several times this is what the ending is, even though you didn't pick it up, and to be honest, to me, I always thought it was fairly self-explanatory, but even then though, I've read many compelling arguments against that and that kind of ensures its enduring legacy. Its legacy is that of simplicity. We all, as individuals, feel that we have the right grasp on our own reality. We all like to think that we are masters of our own domain to an extent, and what our eyes see is fact to our brain. What the thing does so elegantly and so cleverly is play upon that. The best kind of isolationist paranoia fueled horror movies or movies in general are the ones that make you question absolutely everything that is on screen. Now in the case of The Thing, it's conversations with certain individuals, it's looking for, you know, puffs of air and the cold it's trying to ascertain what character interacted with what character at one point and could the parasite itself have manifested, killed off and moved on It's constantly trying to stay one step ahead of an alien who is not the smartest alien in the world, it's just got the greatest camouflage in the world. Recently, this year, watching The Invisible Man, I was struck by how someone like Lee Winnell could do something very, very similar except not show anything on the screen. So whereas in The Thing, every conversation it's had, every every bit of evidence that you see is potentially a clue or a red herring to the ultimate answer, 
Uh, a movie like The Invisible Man can pan a camera over to a empty room and have your eyes straining and training to see if there's anything moving, anything afoot, or if you can see maybe the outline of something. And most of the time there's nothing there, and that's to its genius. The thing's genius is that, for the most part, most of the time there is something on the screen. It's just very well disguised. And I think that is what maybe at times is not discussed enough with the thing. Yes, the practical effects are among some of the best that you'll ever see in 1982. They are a testament to how special effects, practical effects and visual effects could be used uh, and manipulated, um, whether shot in reverse or sped up in an environment where, you know, our alien can be anything, so let's make it anything. That, you know, that's the top tier, and we, we can't get away from that, and yet it's what certainly makes the movie rad as fuck. But on a simplistic level, character interactions are what really solidifies the thing's legacy. It's what makes the movie, in my opinion, transcend almost the genre entirely. And when you spend more time with people, um, the only real hero in this movie, if we're being honest, is uh, Dr. Blair, played by Wilford Brimley. Because Blair very, very, very quickly anticipates how bad things are going to be and then decides he's going to wipe out everyone. You know, no one can get out. Everyone must die because the, the causal effect of this going out is, you know, ultimate doom for mankind. So he is actually, even through his horrible actions, he's kind of the hero of this movie. Um, ultimately, though, we side with McCready, who is, for the most part, an anti-hero. He kind of tries to assume the lead. He makes some mistakes along the way and ultimately does the right thing at the very end. Or does he? And that's the question that, you know, kind of carries on with the thing as a movie. Um, I think that's great. Him and, you know, Childs at the end, sitting in the cold, waiting for the inevitable, one of them will die and the other one most likely will assume that other person's, um, you know, visage. Uh, but knowing fine well that this creature can survive in the cold, it'll just freeze and then it'll be found eventually one day and then make its way out. It's what adds to the beauty of the nihilistic view that John Carpenter puts on the screen. It's this idea that even if you think you have bested the thing, ultimately the thing has all the time in the world and will eventually win out. And I can see why that was hard for audiences and critics at the time to swallow. 1982 is the year of E.T. You know, people are all like, aliens are our friends, yay. And then John Carpenter comes along with this massive monolithic slab of black narcissistic, you know, nihilistic um, fear and dread on the screen manifested in this this portrayal of uh, the thing from outer space. And I think that's what makes the movie work. I think ultimately what, what works really well for this movie is that a whole team of people that spend so much time coexisting in isolation when the rug is pulled out from under their feet and one one element which is completely uncontrollable in a outpost surrounded by weather which is completely uncontrollable but when the uncontrollable element gets inside 
the outpost, that's when the walls of uh, civility, of hierarchy, of structure break down. And it's difficult not to watch the thing and think how it is a true reflection of what humanity is like, especially when you look at where we are in the world right now. doesn't take that much to pull the pin on, you know, a cluster grenade of massive fuckery in society. Really, really doesn't take that much. And the thing is a great example of that. Certain characters that you would expect would know better or have a better sense of command lose their shit really fucking quick. Um, because they're out of their element, they are in a position where they are no longer master of their own domain. And, you know, this uprising begins pretty quick. I think that's so clever. I think it's such a wonderful idea. And I think John Carpenter is maybe the only director alive that can do that on the screen. Carpenter has such a nihilistic view at the best of times. And yes, certainly it's more prominent later on in his career where he is shafted time and time again by Hollywood. But at this point here, he is just, he's just remaking one of his favourite um, stories of all time for the screen. And he's just doing it in a way that no one can really grasp and a, a way that has been, you know, constantly repeated, regurgitated and remade over and over and over again since. Like I said before, the movie isn't really from the lens that I want to talk about its longevity from a cast point of view, but it kind of is at the same time. I think, like, Kurt Russell is a phenomenal leading man in this one. I think it's difficult not to hate and love Wilford Brimley at the same time. I think, you know, David Keith is so fucking good in this movie. I think even Donald Moffat is, you know, Gary, a guy who is so out of his depth, is is brilliant to watch on the screen, just kind of losing everything in his team that he wants. Uh, it's a movie that builds on suspense. It's a movie that builds on atmosphere and tone. It's a movie that tries to make you anticipate where you think things will go and then change them. It, it, it constantly throws a monkey wrench in the ideas that you might have, the gears in your brain that are turning to work out exactly what is happening in the movie. It's nothing short of a masterpiece and I think it's why its enduring legacy continues on. Interestingly, as we move through the further two episodes that I have planned in this Mayday Mayday series, uh, looking at kind of isolation and paranoia, comparisons will always come back to the thing. Even when movies come out before the thing, it feels like the thing is the one that crystallises the idea best on screen. It's a movie that will, I think, remain as one of the greatest horror movies ever fucking made. Um, and one that will continue to bring in new audiences over and over again. It's so interesting that even nowadays people are finding this movie and falling in love with it. I think that only happens when a movie truly transcends the year and decade that it's made in. And paranoia and isolation, as we can see in 2020, is a theme that is almost timeless. You can play this one off. It's like, I once heard a podcast which said that the idea of 
the most dangerous game is something that can be told at any point. This idea that, you know, uh, rich people will hunt humans for sport. It's the, you know, one of these grand taboos that we can do in, in film. Uh, but it's timeless. It doesn't rely on political structures. It doesn't rely on wars. It doesn't rely on societal change. It can just be manifested whenever it wants. The ideas of isolation, the fear of isolation as a species that craves intimacy, connectivity and group above all else, family, um, and paranoia when you, you genuinely think that you might not necessarily be completely in control of everything that's happening. Those stories can always come up at any time and be made into movies. All I'm going to say is it will take a Herculean task to ever best the thing. That's all I wanted to say about that movie. If you want to hear me speak about it more, go back and listen to previous episodes where I've gushed over cinematography, where I've gushed over lighting, where I've gushed over the practical effects in particular, the score and whatnot. But in terms of this theme, we will be looking at these movies through the idea of how they portray isolation and how they portray paranoia. And that is all I have to say about The Thing. It's obviously a five. It's my favourite horror movie ever fucking made. Any given day between this and The Shining. The Shining was the one that I, I also wanted to lump in here, but we did an irreverence on it recently. So we'll be going co- totally off-piste for selection number two. Uh, selection number three, I can give you a bit of a heads up on that one. It'll be coming at the end of the month and I'll be looking at the brand new horror movie, The Lodge. Um, as well. So that one will be coming up right at the end of the month. And a wee sneaky one coming in the middle of the month. So there you go. I'm going to take my final break. When I come back, I'm closing out the show right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been a special first of three planned episodes, kind of smaller episodes, insular or isolated episodes, looking at the theme Mady Mady, isolation and paranoia and horror. Starting with our first examination on the granddaddy of them all, The Thing from 1982. In approximately two weeks' time, we'll be back with the next instalment. And like I said before the break, closing out the month with a review of the brand new horror movie, The Lodge. Which also brings up so many of those wonderful themes. Isn't it great? Isn't it great to be in the time and place that we are right now and watching horror movies in a weird way magnify all the issues we're going through right fucking now? What a time to be alive, ladies and gents. What a time to be alive. There's a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs, as always. I see wherever you're listening to me right now, hit subscribe on that feed. That way you never miss an episode of Podcasts Under The Stairs. We release on average about four a week. So if you're not subscribed, there's a chance you will miss one. And you don't want to miss one. There's so much stuff in the pipeline and in the past that you need to hear. And the only way to do that is subscribing to that feed. While you're subscribing to the feed, please subscribe to the Tea Putts Collective. That's right, it's a secondary feed of podcasts under the stairs content. Looking at a myriad of other shows that I do, like Opera Omnia, which is currently a show dedicated to a director's body of work. We are working our way through Ben Wheatley at the moment with guest Mr. Watson, or maybe doing The Nasty, which is looking at the Tier 3 
selection of video nasties. Myself and Mark Ball doing the run on that. Chronicle, which returns this coming weekend, which is looking at folk horror and UK cinema. Or maybe where to begin with Giallo. The next instalment of that one is coming in just over a week's time and it will be looking at another of the true tried and tested domes of the Giallo subgenre. That series is interactive so you can go away, check out the movies and write me your thoughts and I'll read them out on the show. You need to subscribe to the Teapots Collective though in order to get that. Visit our website, it's teapotscast.com. You can buy merch to support the show by going to teapotscast.bigcartel.com. You can check us out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash teapotscast is the podcast under the stairs group page. The Teapots Collective page, though, is facebook.com forward slash teapotscast. You can interact with myself and the buyers and the twin prongs of social media sexiness, Instagram and Twitter, both can be followed at teapotscast. Check us out on the Flick Chat app at social media for podcasters and listeners to connect through message board posts. Flick Chat is free for people that have Android and iOS devices and our join code is TPUTSCAST. The podcast Under the Stairs will return to you this Thursday where we're launching a new movie club four-month odyssey with a particular theme, a brand new theme coming your way with a brand new movie and a whole month for you to interact so get on board with that, ladies and gents. The announcement is coming this Thursday. But until then, whatever you are, what the time zone is and what you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off. <laughs>